I have these friends, Dan and Sheila. I Actually, they're podcast hosts. Welcome to Profiling Criminal Minds. I'm Dan. I'm Dr. Redman. And <laughs> Millennium's the best show. Oh, this, yeah, no, I mean. What a like... pair of episodes. Yep. Oh, my God. Like, it's. So here's something. Okay, first off, I just want to apologize to all of our listeners. Uh, I said it was Stephen Lang about a hundred times two weeks ago. It's not Stephen Lang in that episode. It's Mark Morrison, who play who would go on to play Bill on uh, Twenty Four for like six years. Now, in my defense, Mark Morrison both looks and sounds exactly like Stephen Lang. <laughs> So I don't think like I'm the first person on earth to get the two of them confused, but it's kind of impolite to Mark Morrison to refer to him as Stephen Lang a hundred times in an episode and then not correct it later. So consider that corrected. I apologize for not giving the correct actor credit. All right. Uh, Two, here's something amazing that I can't believe we're four weeks into this and we didn't mention because we've talked about how much Criminal Minds owes to Millennium. Yes. Do you know what we didn't mention in the six previous episodes we've talked about? No. That every episode of Millennium starts with a relevant literary quote on the screen. How did we have missed that? How did we not mention that when that is the, like, stylistically the thing that most re- that that criminal minds cribbed most directly from the show millennium <laughs> like i wouldn't be surprised if like we see the same quotes turn up at some point although that might just be free because there were you know 350 episodes of criminal minds so they started running out of useful quotes at some point yeah <laughs> uh but anyway so yeah, just uh, I found that kind of funny that we had forgotten to mention the place where the most direct cribbing seems to have happened while talking about it. Well, Bernaro must have really loved this show. I think everybody loved Millennium. I think it was a well-liked show, you know? Everybody talked about it when it was on. It was just, you know, something that was way too rough for the normies to, you know, to watch every week. Well, I and I can understand it. I mean, I watch it, and then I, and it can because it is so stressful. I time. know, and like Criminal Minds is bleak sometimes. Don't get me wrong, but it is fundamentally a much safer show than this. Yes, yeah, just like Touching Evil is a much safer show than this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, know, it, Touching Evil is closer, but it is safer than this. But at the end of the day, right? Um, like, uh this show is about how all the systems we build to protect ourselves are going to fail. <laughs> One way or another. One way or another. And the yellow house can only last so long. Spoiler alert. Uh, we're not going to say what happens, but you know. And then you have, well, and, and you do, you have Catherine who is always so positive in the end. And oh, Absolutely. Frank- gonna buy it but it ain't gonna last forever or well we'll just well you know what for people who haven't seen this we're not gonna spoil it but yeah it's it's interesting like there is a there is a bleakness at its core because at the end of the day 
I mean, Hotch is so fascinating because he was constantly tortured by the fact that, like, going out and solving these crimes keeps him from participating in his family life. And that's why him going off to be a dad, they think, is a happy ending for the character. But it's just not, like, not true for the set to the central issues of what that character was always going through. Yeah. About his terror that he would become his own abusive father. And him keeping away from his son as a way to, like, prevent that from happening. It's like, there's a really interesting sto- stuff going off with Hotch, and we all know why he left. We're not relitigating it, but it's like, it's why his departure rings hollow, is because it doesn't speak to the central, the things that made his character so fascinating. Yes, well, you know, that's it, and I've just been watching Annika. And uh, in the second in the second season, she comes to the she never told the man who was the father of her child. Right. That, that he, he had a child. Gotcha. So and they continue to work together and everything else. It's a it doesn't matter what the story is. Yeah. But the point is, is she was so afraid that this man would turn into her father. Ah, okay. And by the end of the second season, you actually understand, God, no wonder she was so afraid because she was so right all along about her father. Right. Um, But this man ends up, you know, a few years later getting married and he's got three children and the rest of it, right? So, you know, she has to deal with the fact that it she completely have... misread him and let his yeah. uh and, and let her her, really... her own baggage about her own father screw up her life. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, no, it's, but it's yeah, in... like we talk about these issues because yeah. it will touch on stuff that's gonna happen in Millennium going in forward. Millennium. Yeah. Going All right, forward. so uh this episode has one of the creepiest openings ever. <laughs> The guy going to the funeral and, oh my God. And, you know, comforting the mother and, you know, and taking the pin off of the body. And then just one of my favorite images, just, oh my God, you know, like Criminal Minds went 15 seasons, never had as purely horror an image as that woman walking up to the, uh, the grave to put the flower in her son's grave and then a hand coming out of the empty grave and dragging her into it. Oh my God, that. As as I say, talk about. What a visual. Criminal Criminal Minds might be called at times when it has its worst episodes, Millennium Light. (laughs) Yes. Because we have. It's bleakest. It's bleakest episodes. Yes. Millennium. She means worse in the sense of hard to watch, not in bad, by the way. Yes, no, no, not in bad. Worse. Millennium light, but no. Like, you knew there was something wrong with this guy. I know. Yes, it was just so, so horrible. Yeah, like just his, his, uh, the way this actor, and again, it's a brilliant performance. The way this actor plays like how much he is getting out of being close to people. Yeah. Like how satisfying it is for him to feel even for a second, like he's part of a family. Yeah. It's, it's a fantastic performance. 
Absolutely. He is incredible in this because he says it all with his face and with his breathing. Because, spoiler alert, this character never explains himself. Like, this never, this, this character never sits down and has an honest conversation with anyone for the entire show. Right. It never had, like, we never get, we, we get an explanation for who he is and what he is. And Frank has his theories and Bill has their theories and Catherine has his theories. This guy never talks about himself. No, but you can put, put it, when we get to the episode. You put it all together. Put it all together and you understand why everything he, about him. Oh yeah, absolutely. Everything about him. That that is that is a very interesting way to write a character. Yep. It it is it is different than it's almost like we when we're talking about emotions, yeah. It, when we were talking about cop rock, mm-hmm. right? We would keep talking about how about how it's like you can just sing what you mean. Yeah. Sing what you what you feel and mean. Yes, sing right? what you feel whereas instead of having here, to go do all the hard work. Yeah. Whereas here, his face does all the hard work. Yep. His emotions do all the hard work. He never mm-hmm. speaks particularly. I mean, he says words. I mean, I'm not t- saying that. But he never speaks. says anything that's true. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. And 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 emotional and meaningful. But we slowly but surely find out all everything about him. Is about him and how and why he is the way i just think it's fascinating that we literally you go through the episode and you like think about how strange it is to have a character who never says anything true the entire episode from beginning to end that's just a fascinating idea and it put and they pull it off so well but this guy only lies to himself and to everyone else Mm-hmm. His whole life is this pretend family he's trying to, like, his desperation, he will do anything to feel like he's part of a family. Which is why he's searching through, he's constantly searching through the obituaries for me, for men, young men, who are his exact age, or approximately, because that will guarantee there will be a mother who is the age of his mother. Yes. There. For him to feel close to. Oh my god, this episode. It's it's brutal. So anyway, uh this mother is dragged the mother of the the dead guy, the dead football player who is uh the the funeral of that gets dragged in and gets brutally slashed to death. Yep. And that's when Frank and uh Peter Watts are called in to check up. Yep. Oh, Peter Watts, we love you. <laughs> Don't you just love that little mustache? <laughs> Uh, but anyway peter watts uh magnificent character no notes anyway uh so they are called in to investigate it right and they're looking into it they're trying to figure out what's um they're you know they're trying to figure out who's doing this frank is 100 percent sure that it was not about the mother that the real focus here was about the son because he brings the brings the sister over they find out about the creepy guy and he brings the sister that talked to the creepy guy over and asks her like they find out he was standing for too long next to the coffin Mm -hmm. and so frank's like there is either something added to or missing from the body and i need you to tell me what that is yeah and it turns out it's uh, a pin that he took as a souvenir and frank's like okay well 
if he's taking souvenirs, this isn't the first time he's done this. And if he's escalating to murder, this is only going to get worse. Like, he's like, it's about being close to the, it's about the kid in some reason. It's about being part of this for some reason. And if he started killing, he sure as hell isn't going to stop. Because there is no, they don't have anything prior to this. Exactly. Like, this is the first murder like this they've found. And so they start, they do start looking for funerals. Exactly. For funerals that might fit this. And we see the guy go back to his home, well, his halfway house, yes. uh, where a guy there, you know, signs him in and yells at him basically for constantly screwing up and lying about where he was and tells him that I signed you in and I'm covering for you. And I know, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. You've got to stop it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's good. Yes. It's really and, interesting the way they set up this character. Well, sure, because when, I mean, like, I have a hard time because I know how it ends, right? Yeah. But when you're watching it. It's so perfectly it's, set it's up. So perfectly set up. And this guy is, is it, it's a halfway house for parolees, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's, so he is responsible and this guy is constantly breaking curfew. Yeah. And that is a no-no mm-hmm. in houses so um, and you're like well why are you covering from then okay it's because you're obsessed with this kid and that's pretty yeah, clear yeah you can you can make that assumption it's that pretty cl- i think it's pretty clear based on how he plays it yeah and well not only that but the point is is that you can't when you find out the end right yeah when we get to the end it like because the obsession is is very it, it like it's weird right? oh it is it is i mean the whole thing is it is very strange except that it plays it it there's not a false moment in it again no nope. it, it, they come up with these weird points mm-hmm. to me this is a, a writing room that is so it, it is a complex writing room. Like these, these guys are, were given, I guess, free reign to put together these stories. Yeah, it, it I, feels that way. It feels like they had, and that they could put in the most complicated reasoning, and they got it right. They've always, like, you walk away at the end of this episode. Understanding saying, every character. Understanding, yeah. yeah. Every, everything about this poor boy. Yeah. Well, he's, you know, he's in his 20s, probably. He's now. 22, 23 now. Yeah, you know, but you understand everything about him and all you can do is feel sorry for him. Yeah. And, and then, oh, okay. So he, um, then next, uh, we see one of the funerals, you know, in town is another guy who was uh, killed in a car accident. And he goes and he runs into the dead guy's college girlfriend. Yep. And pretends to be his childhood friend. And she offers to take him. All right. He uh, he he says he's going to leave. And she offers to drive him home. And he says, I could take you to some place where he and I used to fish. Because, again, he wants to feel close. And he wants to feel part of this story. Yep. And he's taking bigger risks now. Yeah. Actively starting to make up stories about being lo- lifelong friends of this guy. 
And so they go out there and he again needs the contact of a hug and she's creeped out by it because, you know, he is creepy. Well, it's, and the funny thing is, it's, it's, the mothers are not going to be creeped out by this. But girlfriend? But creeped out. girlfriend? Pretty creeped out by it. Completely creeped out and completely understandably creeped out. No one is saying she's wrong to feel this way. So he runs off and then she gets brutally drowned, beaten and drowned at the lake that they're at. Yep. And then we cut to the body being found and uh, Frank, in a great moment, again, uh, done without explaining, looks at the body. There is a giant uh, message carved into her stomach that says, stop looking. Yeah. I know, right? It says stop looking. And Frank, you know, doesn't know what this means, but he looks at the body and he's just like, based on her hairstyle, she should have a hair clip. Yep. So he just wades right into the lake to go looking for it. It's so funny because he does take off his shoes. He does. uh, And his jacket. Yep. And his jacket. Because his jacket's leather and you don't want that getting wet. He's got his suede jacket on and he doesn't want that. But other than that, he just wades right in. And finds it. And he finds it. Because he knows roughly where she was strangled. He knows what he's looking for. And it's like, he doesn't tell us what he's doing, but we see him looking at her hair. And then he's like, boom. Okay, I know what I'm looking for. And so he goes and he finds it. And they manage to get a fingerprint from where he touched her head. And I mean, it's a very lucky grab, but you just got to have to accept it. You just accept it because it's such a good storytelling device. Watching Frank wade out into a river and pick up, or a lake, and just find this hair clip. And, uh, they even, they even have, um, Bob say, it's like, you can get a hair, you can get a fingerprint off of a hair clip that was underwater. And, uh, Peter's like, we got a, we got a fingerprint over a, off of a 40 year, uh, bone that had been buried for 40 years. Yeah. Like, yeah, we have the best science. We're the Millennium Group. We have all the money we need. Exactly. To do whatever. To to do whatever it takes. And that's the, that is at the end of the day. That's all they're about. They're about whatever it takes. So, um, beautiful, beautiful moment. And now they've got a fingerprint. And now they've got the guy. And so they start looking into the guy. Yes. And this is where we meet uh, uh, the character from his backstory, his birth mother. His birth mother, who rejected him, who gave him up when she was a 16-year-old who had a kid and hasn't, you know, by all accounts, thought about him since. And talks about how he showed up one day. And when she's talking about how he showed up one day and she had to call, like, the cops on him because he, like, he said he was ready to come home and he, you know, would be, he needed his mother. And and as I'm watching, I'm like, oh, my God, do you know what we're watching? Tell me. We're watching Millennium's take on Best Boys. The Cracker episode. Yeah. Well, oh, yes. <laughs> it is. It, 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 all of a sudden I'm going, oh, yeah. Think <laughs> about it. It's just like, what if Best Boys, instead of a romance, was a horror story? <laughs> No, it's exactly... It is, isn't it? No, it's exactly... Was Millennium... It's the year after, so yeah. 
So somebody was watching Cracker. Yeah, someone was watching Cracker. This is Best Boys. This is them being inspired by Best Boys to do a horror story. I never... I know, you don't think about it, but it, that's what it, it is. is. It really is. So what? Ha- the reason they have to go to track down the mother is... is so different. Oh, no, it's completely it's different, but it's... Uh, the mother and... Well, we'll get there. But uh, the biological it, mother as the a... Bio- yes. So you're right. It is their take, and I think they've, they've shifted it. They've, they've shifted it enough that you can't say it's a ripoff at all. No, they've kept that core yeah. of what happens to someone who is rejected and raised in the foster system in the foster system about needing connection more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, uh, the reason they go to see the mother is they think that's logically the place he'll go uh, because he went there once before Uh, they go to get him at the, uh, they go to get him at the uh, halfway halfway house, but the trustee there who's obsessed with him uh, leaves like manages to delay yeah, manages to delay them at the front door so he has time to get away. And that's why they have to go looking for him at the uh, mother's house. But he's not there. That's not where he ran. Well, no, and this mother, I mean, this is, no, I mean, as she says, I gave him, a, I gave, I gave him away at birth. He's not my yeah. son. He's a mistake I made when I was a teenager. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. And, and you promised that you would find him a good home and take care of him. It's yeah. your problem. Yeah. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Oh my God, she gets worse. It it is just brutal. Brutal, you know. It is. And the thing is, is that you when we get to the end of it, you like they give her no excuse. Nope. You know, um, at all, which in Best Boys, they sort of. Well, yeah, they talk about the adoption and who, like, who wants, you know, you want a baby, you don't want a full Well, it wasn't just that that he didn't fit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the whole other conversation. Yeah, never mind. We're not talking about Best Boys. This, this, but this is the biological mother. Yep. And. I know. It's, it's best it's, boys it's it's kind of fascinating now that i say it you see it beat for beat this is best boys this is best boys beat for beat with a real shift so that it's not obvious yeah uh at all because there's there there are so many well, so well, many changes there so are many. big changes yes, but fundamentally but- this was clearly inspired by the episode best boys we want to do something different, but because, of course, none of, yeah, never mind. Anyway, of, but that's the interesting Go watch right. Cracker. Yeah. Go watch Cracker. We've already talked Cracker. We don't have to talk about that right now. No. Anyway, so what's fascinating is, so you get the fact that, you know, um, so he is, uh, the, we find out the kid is hiding out at a junkyard that the trustee works at during the day. Mm-hmm. Right. Or maybe owns. It's not really clear. Uh <laughs> Well, he he does climb over the fence and the dog, so he can't own it. So, but even if he worked there, he would know the dogs. But he has some. He has no. He we know he's a connection. Well, the reason I know he works there is because when they go, um, the, well, the they minute do the, you see the, the name pen. of the junkyard, you yeah. go, "Oh, that's the same mess." Yeah, exactly. Because what happens is the um, 
the S, right? The the way he wrote at the S in the stop looking is also on the pen for the junkyard that the trustee has. Yes. Yeah, it's all the so same he has thing. Some yeah. relationship with yes, some that... relationship. We don't know exactly what the relationship is. The episode that's not an important part of the plot, but for the record, we don't ever find out exactly what his connection yeah, to this junkyard is. Because remember, he does have to feed the he feeds the dogs wieners. Exactly. To get into the to junkyard. get into yeah, but I mean they're they're the night guard dogs at a junkyard. That's just I think everybody just feeds them wieners to get along with them. Well, what I would say, they're junkyard dogs, but if he, never mind. This hey, that's not important. That's not part no. of the episode. No, so anyway, not. they're searching the, um, the, they're searching the guy's house at the halfway house. The trustee points them to, um, what is likely his stash location. Inside yeah. the stash location, they find all the pins and all the mementos from all of the funerals he's that gone he's to. to. And there are dozens. And, and then, they decide to go and talk to these people. Yeah. And, and in one, I mean, and none of them had a bad thing to say about him. No. You know, in one case, he spent an entire week with this family. Yeah. One of the families, right? An entire week because, mm -hmm. you know, before he had to move on. Yeah. You because know, he so needs it, to, again, it's his, his needs to be a part of these people's lives. He yeah. needs to feel like he belongs somewhere. So and the key part is, on the wall is a piece of art he made that just says over and over and over again, never stop looking. No, I, no, no, it's not a piece of art that... I mean, it's, it's a print of oh. some kind. Maybe he made, maybe somebody else made it. But the point there is, is... There is, there is, because it is, um, it is a mantra. They probably have some counseling sessions. And it is like a mantra. It might be a mantra from the council. You're never right. stop this, never do no, this. No, and it never. says right on the wall over and, and over again, never, never stop, stop looking. looking. Yeah. And that, Frank goes, oh shit. Yep. Never stop looking. And so well, the message, he finally figures out the message is for the boy. Yeah. It's not the boy. Not. But he doesn't figure it's that out not. until they do go to the junkyard. Since they find the 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 pen, yeah. they're able to adjust him, arrest him. They bring him in. And all he wants to there to defend him is his mother. Yes. And so they convince her to come in. And he's like, you've got to believe that I didn't kill anybody. Right, mom? And she wants nothing to do with him. And so he's happy to confess. And Frank doesn't believe him. Yeah, no, I mean. Frank, I, it's just not his psychology. You'll just have to watch it to see how horrible this woman really is. Oh, God. It's so no. much worse than the mother in Best Boys. Which which led me, okay, led me to believe that she says, I made a mistake. I suspect she was raped. Maybe, yeah. And he was the child of rape. It wouldn't shock me if that's the implication no, they're going for. because that's the only way the kind of complete, because she's already, she's married, she's got other children. Yeah, the complete <laughs> antipathy she has towards this child. Yes, has to do, he probably looks like his father. Yeah, wouldn't shock and me at all if that, her. it would yeah. not shock me if that's supposed to no, be the implication. But we don't ever get into that. That's no. just me hypothesizing. Yeah, you're speculating on a hypothesis. This is... This is, I mean, her, she is over yeah. the top in this, I don't want anything to do with this boy. Yep. 
And that is not usually the experience of teenagers who get knocked up by their boyfriends and then have to give up their children for adoption. Yeah, no. Uh, it would not shock me if you were right about that. Yeah. So uh, Frank realizes that the stop looking is a message from the killer to <laughs> the boy. And then, of course, that's there's only one person it could be. It's got to be the trustee who's been covering for him at the halfway house. And he realizes that he wants this kid all to himself. And the only way to completely get him to himself would be to get rid of all of his connections. Yeah including his mother and what they've done by bringing her into the prison, sorry, into the jail to talk to the boy is alerted him to the existence of the mother. Now he knows about the mother and now he has his next target. So Frank rushes over there and they have a fight and he manages to save the mother's life. Yes. And of course, Catherine is pissed at him for, and Catherine and Bob are both pissed at him for running in to save the mother. But as he says, like, this is a situation where I was going there to warn her and she was already being attacked. And if we'd waited for the cops, she would be dead. And Frank's right about that. Yes, she would have been. It was. Yeah, it was close. Yeah, it was as close as it could possibly be. Uh, But nobody's happy that he ran in. Because he's not a law enforcement officer anymore. He is just a consultant. And then we get the end of the episode, uh, which is Catherine and Frank discussing the situation, right? About whether, uh, whether, as Bob says, you know, a, a kitten in its first two weeks, if it has exposure to people, it becomes domesticated. And if it doesn't have exposure to people, it becomes feral. Like, whether there is no hope for this kid or not. And they uh, find the perfect uh, the perfect children's book. Did they invent this children's book? Or did they find the perfect children's book? Because it's about an alligator who's trying to go home. Who misses his home and wants to go home. I'm like, did they write this book just for the show? Or did they find, like, the a predatory creature that's trying to find its home? Like, this literally couldn't be a better children's book for them to be reading to their daughter for the plot of this episode. And I'm like, did they find the perfect book or did they write this themselves? I should look into whether that's a real book or not. Well, I'm just looking at it and it doesn't, I don't see any book. Uh, I see a massive gator that's stuck in through the doggy door, but... Uh... <laughs> All right. But anyway, the point is, it's it's the perfect book. But anyway, and so they're talking about it. And as with every episode of Millennium, it... Oh, what's that? Did you find it? Um, It doesn't end with an easy answer about what this all means. Because we then cut back to the guy who, again, the only thing we have ever seen him do forthrightly and honestly is ask his mother to tell people that he couldn't be a killer and then have her reject him immediately. Yes. That's the only honest moment we got out of this guy, the entire show. And so how do we end the episode with him looking for new funerals to go to? Cause he'll never stop looking for a family. Yeah. Oh, by the way, yeah. Do you remember what, I, I can't remember what the cover of the book looks like. It's an alligator walking around a city carrying a suitcase. Well, it might be carrying Albert home. I have no idea what you're talking about. The somewhat true story of a man, his wife, and her alligator. That's definitely not it. It's a children's book. Yeah, I know. I was. It's a cartoon children's book. 
but this may have may have been the impetus because they, who knows they take the who point knows? is you know what i'm just going to look at for it now while we start talking about the next episode no no i'm looking at it because... it is a this episode is a masterpiece it oh, no, really okay. is aha uh-huh, there's something called alligator baby again stop looking i'll <laughs> figure it okay. out Okay, never mind. I'm I'm going to stop looking. That's okay. what I'm saying. But yes, so the, they may have created it for the show, the cover. But, yeah. Uh, it looks as if there are children's books about the accidental, I... the alligator who accidentally. Again, did. let's keep going back somewhere else to the okay, next episode. It, okay, perfect, perfect ending. And now we get to the second, the second horror family story. Yeah. This is the first horror family. Whoa! This week we got whammed with bad families. Oh, oh my. God. How do they do two of these in a row? Oh, as like, I said. Get back to demon pigs eating people, please. Let me put it this way, right? Let me put it this way. And we, one does have to wonder about Chris Carter's family background. Yep. Because he's still the, you know, he's the showrunner, ultimately, in the first season. And I'm just going, this one was... I do have a few little complaints about it. Oh, okay. Um, I'm getting a close-up. The book is called Gator Roams from Home. And if you look at a close-up, you can see that the front and the back are clearly stickers that they have put on top of a a real book. So this is not an actual book. It's something they made for the show. Yeah. So there you go. I because think. no, it was too perfect to the plot of the episode. Yeah. But there to are not be. Well, maybe maybe these books about alligator uh, no, no, about I mean, alligators going home is 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 was based on Millennium. somebody watching Millennium and deciding they were going to write a real book about that. The important part is we fa- we answered the question. Now let's yes. move on. Well, uh, I was so trying. We open Let up me. to we open up with an unbelievably creepy family. Oh. And it's just like seeing this, like the first image you see of this family on the couch. And there is this 30 year old woman there dressed like a child. And you're like, oh, this is bad. Like you just know you're in for something real bad. Five seconds into this episode. When you see this 30-year-old woman sitting on a couch next to this child and this elderly man, and she's dressed in a a child's nightgown. You're like, nope, I'm not going to be happy this week. I've already decided there will be no happiness this week. It's not possible. No, 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 no. This is... um, I... It was, um, it, yes, it, right from the beginning, and it is, you know what you're in for. Yep. You, if, if you have read anything at all, you know what you think you know. It gets worse. The longer it goes on. But it's not unsurprising. On. Yeah, nope. it's not unsurprising. No. But yes, it is, um, everything that gets revealed during this episode, you're saying, yeah. Yeah, no, that makes uh-huh. sense. Makes sense, makes sense, yes. Uh, and the only, oh. well, I'll talk about that. The And the mother walks, you know, the mother decides, the mother is there initially and she decides. And she takes a powder. Talk about, 
talk about two bad mothers. Does Chris Carter have this a episode? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, the mother! Somebody you know, has a problem with their mother. I'll tell you. Yep. And, and then so Catherine, the ideal mother, I guess. But I uh, yeah, the father is obviously angling for a uh, opportunity to be alone with this child and the the eight-year-old child and the 30-year-old woman is clearly going to do whatever she can to be opposed to that so she tells the eight-year-old to go and lock herself in well yes but she goes off here's here's the problem yeah the key is here yeah he's what happens is is she's she's trying to she doesn't want right she doesn't want to leave her sister alone alone and stuff like that. And so, no, they're not going to go. And then she decides they're going to have ice cream. Yeah. <clears throat> and she goes out to get the ice cream. She comes back and the little girl is sitting in daddy's lap. Because what you what you assume is that this is an older sister. And we say she's 30, but she doesn't look 30. No, but the character is canonically 32 years old. Yes. No, no. When we find that out in the yeah, episode. But she looks younger. It looks like this is, she's trying, you know that she is a victim of incest. Yeah. And you know she's trying to save her sister. That's yeah. what you. That's what we know at the start. At the, that's what we know. She's trying to save this little girl. You assume she is the sister. Mm-hmm. But right? we'll get to it from there later on. Yes. And uh, we've already <laughs> spoiled it. I mean, people can then figure out, okay. Where this is going. To, she goes and gets the ice cream, and then she takes her sister off, uh, and she has her lock herself in, in the her older room. sister's bedroom, because yeah. there's a lock on the door on the inside, which yeah. is pointedly very important for the plot, and indeed the title of the episode. Yes, so this lock. This lock on the door. And then we see that underneath, the uh, the father comes up to ask her why she's, you know, trying to keep him away from the daughter. The uh the eight year old, yeah, and then notices that underneath her nightgown she's wearing her street clothes because she was planning to flee with the eight year old that day that night, yeah. And we don't see what happens to her, but next we see her walking down the middle of the street in the middle of the night, is still in her nightgown, and is picked up by the cops. Yeah, and so this is a Catherine episode. <laughs> Yes, Catherine is the focus of this yeah. episode. It's an all Catherine episode. So we now, now then, after the credits, we go into the phone rings and we assume it's Frank and she's saying, and she assumes it's for Frank and yeah. he just looks at her and says, here. It's a case for her. She's got this case. Yeah, she's a social worker working with victim services. And so they're bringing in to talk to this uh, abuse victim. Yes, well, they don't know that she's an abuse victim yet. They yeah. might suspect, like Catherine might suspect, because this is very weird behavior. Yeah, she's but almost... Catherine's a counselor, so she is absolutely perfectly suited for this task. And so they, so she gets in there, and the girl is sitting be, be, between two people. Mm-hmm. One is her brother. Yep, and her older brother and her older sister. Her older sister, and then you begin, and you look at them, and then you begin to get the idea that, no, she's not in her early 20s or no, whatever she's exactly much older and this is when we find because out because we see that her older brother is like late 30s and her older sister is like 40 or yeah. well yeah something yeah. along those lines 
things. Yeah, they're more. Yeah, they're more like. Yeah, um, they're more like they're in their. I would have put them both in their early forties. Maybe, yeah. You but know, the point uh, is, they are clearly. This is not a young family, and in fact, oh. the, uh, the it's when you look at that, you're like, it's kind of weird that this man who is a prominent real estate agent in the city. Uh, has an eight-year-old daughter, especially when you see uh, the look of the uh, the the matriarch of the family. Yeah, if you look at the matriarch, you look at the father. Well, the father can do it all the time, but you look at the matriarch, you look like, at whose daughter is this exactly? Is the you, question we yeah, have? You start to you start to have that mm-hmm. question because the brother. I would have thought the brother was older. I mean, he's graying and he's balding already. He's graying and balding, but. The the woman they cast, I don't know if it's the casting or the makeup, she has such a weathered face. Oh, yes. but Like, it, everything like, about her is she has had a hard life. And you're right. It's possible. They're just trying to say she's been aged by her experiences. But she looks older than the guy who has gray hair. Yeah. Very pointedly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very, very pointedly. And, yes. And a stress nobody's nobody's been married like it's not like her the brother married it's not like there are no there seems to have been no spun-off families nope and and as we will because we now i mean it's pretty clear that the father has sexually abused this girl Mm -hmm. and um so it's you know, and I, what I would say for the brother and the sister, yeah, they're not going to have families and they're not going to have children because they're not going to let grandpa anywhere near them. Yeah, that seems to be the implication. You know, that seems to be the sort of implication that we get as we're going through this episode, because it's never again, it's never brought up. We're adding stuff to this. But this is a very real. But when you see that, like this, the older sister is clearly motivated entirely by her guilt of leaving, of like fleeing the minute she was 18 and leaving her younger sister in that house. Like that's, she doesn't say those lines, but that's clearly what happened. She's racked with guilt. Exactly. Over leaving her. But. This is the problem. What do you do about it? And they're trying. And now it turns out that they are all because Catherine goes to talk and she said, then talk to her, the older sister and mm-hmm. the older sister says, well, yeah, because it happened to me, too. Yep. And now they're there. She and her sister are both worried about the granddaughter. Yeah. Because spoiler alert, it's it's the 32 year old's daughter. I mean, duh. The 32-year-old's granddaughter. Daughter. No, daughter, yes. So she's eight, right? Yeah, she's eight. Exactly. And, you know, the idea of um, never leaving. And she knows what's going to happen. And that's why she was trying to flee. Well, and what's interesting is, like, by the way, and they don't say this, uh, but it's clear that the older sister was pregnant, too. Because she says the reason she was able to get away is that she got really sick and had to go to a place. Yes. And when I came back, he wouldn't touch me. Yeah. He had moved on to the younger daughter and it's like, Oh, so they sent you away because you got pregnant and you lost the baby and you can't deal with that. Because like, why else would you have this elaborate story about her getting sent away because she got sick and then came back and he had moved on to the next daughter? No, like 
she got pregnant too and she and lost she, the baby yeah. and, and she, she is, lost the baby because yeah. this is this is the point that's why she is rejected yeah it's because she lost the baby yep and because right this is what this predator needs he mm -hmm. has an age group he will sleep with and he probably slept with the dot sister yeah okay 30 the one that's 32 so she would get pregnant she oh yeah apparently is getting them pregnant or she had a boy, you know. Yeah. Boys aren't any good to him. He wants daughters. Like there honestly might be. She might have had the kid and she's just completely blocked it out. It's not clear whether she lost the baby or whether there's a kid out there somewhere. But that I is just never explained. I will tell you that if there is a kid out there somewhere, it's a boy. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay. That the father wants nothing to do with her. She produced a boy. I mean, yep. we can write the back, the back, the backstory, story. but it's like you, it honestly makes you wonder, is there more stuff here that they weren't allowed to say on television? Mm -hmm. Or is this like, is how oblique? Because the thing is this episode, watch the text. They never say that eight year old, like they never come out and full on say whose daughter that is. They make it completely clear. They yeah. say the implication given uh, by the, uh, the, the, what do you call it? The interview that she, that the 32 year old has with the psychologist is that the eight year old might be her daughter is all we hear. Yes. And that's, but, and the funny thing is, is that the, that because of when this was done, the laws still hadn't been changed as well. Oh, right. Right. You see, you have to understand the whole legal, this is, this is this is not where I have the complaints, right? Yeah. They all of a sudden can't do anything because she had to report within three years of her 18th birthday. Of being molested, yeah. Of being molested, except that, I mean, so he can't be charged with the underage molestation. Of the 32-year-old. Like, well, can we charge her with rape? Uh, and it's like, well, it's he him. said, she said. Him with rape? Well, it's he said, she said, because there's no physical evidence that she's been sexually assaulted recently. Yes. And of course, we, we are now, we don't have DNA. You could no. do a full DNA analysis. Of course. At this point, you're still... Iffy. Iffy it's still iffy in 96. Blood types, blood types can tell you who isn't the father. Well, no, but and the crazy okay. part is, as they say that it's impossible to charge, right? right? Um, even if you could prove that's his daughter, it, the, the woman's 32. You can't, I mean, you can prove that the sexual assault happened, but you can't charge him for it. Yeah. And you could probably, if she wants to leave, she could take her daughter with her. Oh, definitely. Okay. That, uh, you couldn't, that couldn't happen now. But then again, hell, maybe not because they, they institutionalized her at yes, some point. That's right. Just to make, to make sure, sure that she wouldn't be believed. Yeah. She's always going to be crazy. Yeah. They may, yeah, they institutionalized her so that no one would believe her when she talked about these things and they keep her at home and says say she has episodes you know all the stuff that historically they've said about women who were being abused yeah always like this is this is very true to some of what happens because of course he threatens her yep to keep her she says and how do you you know because everybody says well how do you explain that she stayed well first of all it was her daughter yep so there's that but he he threatens the daughter he threatens mm -hmm. her he you know he will and it is just and it's constant and 
this has been the life they've been living. She saw what happened to her sister. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, this brings up something personal. Oh. It's not, not in my family, but. Okay. You know, I'm not going to talk about it because it's this, someone else's story. All yes. you have to, all you have to do is read the literature and this is. To know how unbelievably normal. authentic this episode is. Yeah. This is just normal. This episode gets everything right. The only thing that I would complain about, and maybe they cut it, is this was my little complaint. Please. Is that as they were going to, because they eventually do go to trial, but um, we'll get how they get. We'll get to the trial in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, when we get, well, I'll talk, I'll just talk about it. I mean, I, what I don't understand is why nobody asked the older sister. To corroborate. Yeah, that part was strange. I agree with you that that part was strange. And it may be that they didn't have time. And it may be that was in the episode, or who knows. Or in the writing room. And they had to cut it, yeah. Something had to cut it. It's a dense episode. It's very, very dense. because There's so much happening. So finally, yeah. And they... Yeah, no, they can't, of course, prove it. So she brings Frank in to ask his opinion because he's a psychologist of monstrous criminals. And, you yes. know, what else is this? But the mo- but as monstrous a criminal have they seen? Meanwhile, like this guy is making phone calls to the mayor that he's yeah. being unfairly persecuted yes. and trying to shut this down. And Bob is calling them to ask if, you know, really... This guy's a very big fundraiser and supporter of the police and booster in the community. Are you sure you want to cause trouble for him? And this is the same cop who they trust to deal with, you know, all of the serial killer stuff they deal with every week. And suddenly he seems to be defending a predator. Well, because nobody can quite believe it. Wrap their head around it. Exactly. Wrap, Wrap their head around it. That is just standard and yeah. it is still standard only now it's it's famous people yeah you know? but then we have oh my god then we have the backstory of this guy of his mo of you know telling them it's a secret and the girls are special and if she tells anyone he'll kill himself yep oh it's it's so horrific this episode yeah and the, the daughter, the the mother, mother yeah. daughter, right? So yeah. the 32-year-old. The 32-year-old. Like they go to talk to her and she has, she's sort of disappeared because, no, oh no, we have to get to what, the, so Frank does go over. Yeah. But the father isn't there and neither mm-hmm. is the eight-year-old daughter. Yeah. And they this, disappeared. Oh no, but before that happened, what you've forgotten is, so the, they call Frank and um, Catherine because the 32-year-old has disappeared from her sister's house where she's been staying. And right. they go, they find her, she gets dropped, she's, uh, she's, is she just out wandering around? No, her mother and her daughter just showed up in the van to threaten her to not say anything or, you know, the father's going to do something. And he'll you'll kill, never he'll see, kill, kill, he'll, he'll kill the daughter, basically. He's going to kill himself and kill the daughter. Yeah. And so they drop her off soaking wet. Yes. And so Frank doesn't stop looking into it. And that's when the father and daughter disappeared. And we know the stakes are, he's probably going to kill her and then kill himself. Yes. It's a rough episode, everybody. 
Yeah, it, it's a rough episode. And then Frank has to figure out, so where would he go? And it turns out there's a, a cabin they would go to in the winter that is pivotal to his, you know, his methodology of assaulting his daughters. Yeah. Ugh, God, this episode is it's, it's rough. So they rush out there and he is there and they manage to intercept. But then he tries to drive away and there's a chase scene that's really hard to like, I would say, believably hard to follow for something that's happening in, you know, like. It is believably dark because it's out in the woods. There's no lights anywhere except for the various headlights of the various vehicles involved in this chase. Like it is legitimately dark in this scene and it's alienating and it's hard to see what's going on. And you can't tell me that all isn't on purpose. Oh, it definitely was on purpose to just make it. To just make it impossible. And then in the perfect result, he's trying to drive back out the road to the main road to escape with his daughter. And he runs into a car blocking the road, which is Catherine, who has just arrived to help search. Perfect. Perfect choice. So he's arrested. So he's arrested for child endangerment and kidnapping. And that's great. And he's going to get charged. And then we fast forward five months. To the trial. To the trial, because that's the hardest part. That... Oh my God, the trial. That's a brutal scene. Yeah. Where he said, so she's going to have to testify, which she doesn't know if she's strong enough to do because she, like, before she testified to get the indictment to the grand jury, but the, the, her dad wasn't at the grand jury. It's just her and the DA and the grand jury. So it's like, is she going to be able, and this is the problem that all kids have to deal with. And I mean, even though she's 32, mentally, what age is this woman, right? Uh, Facing up to her abuser is the hardest thing you can do when that abuser is your parent. And the abuser is sitting in the room. Oh my God. And so the, the scene where his lawyer recalls the father to the stand to provide pivotal new evidence... That actually, the 32-year-old isn't his biological daughter. It's the result of an affair the mother had. Yeah, and 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 therefore, it's not incest. And therefore, when she gets up on the stand and starts talking about me molesting her, well, it's not actually incest, so don't worry about it. Yeah, like, I mean, that's the implication. That's, that's the why. implication, yeah. yeah. And it's just like... And so the granddaughter is not... The diseased mind, you know? Oh, but it it is typical, like... Somebody sat around and, and read a whole bunch of tra- stuff. Transcripts of how these act guys actually work. Yeah. But like the diseased mind that would produce this is, as you say, it makes me certain that this is taken straight out of an actual real life case is oh. how true that, that development feels. Yeah. And people don't. So they, they just show you. And of course the mother the the mother mother the the wife of the the man. mother slash grandmother this is confusing to talk about yeah she is uh yeah you know i mean she is just she is one of those women who got beaten down by her husband and, and now is their and, partner in crime yeah is now the partner in crime i call it camille cosby syndrome oh yes yes bill cosby's wife yep yeah, it's the it's that syndrome. She, 
You know, she just ignores it. Yeah. That's basically she shuts her eyes she to it. Yeah. She just ignores it. No, she just ignores it. She just looks the other way. No matter what oh, yeah. happens, she's still got her house. She's still got her hobbies. She's still got her life. So she just turns the other way. Yes. And no matter how bad it gets. And leaves her daughters to this predator. And yep. it, it is interesting because when the 32-year-old, of course, had this history of mental institution and mental instability, that's probably because they they told them that she had gotten knocked up because she was probably pregnant at that point. Yep. And she got knocked up by her boyfriend. Yeah, and, and they sent her off to have the baby secretly. She was promiscuous and nobody knows who the father is, so we're going to pretend that it's, it's just... Yeah. It's our daughter, yeah. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, that's absolutely what the institutionalization that's... was. And that's why I'm 100% certain that the other daughter was pregnant too. Because yeah. she has a mirroring story of institutionalization and she's blanked out exactly what happened. Yeah, so she's either lost it or she... Had a son or, who was then put up for adoption. Yeah. Put up for adoption because yeah. this man doesn't want sons. Oh, Jesus. no this... interest in sons. And, you know, so as I said, the only... Well, I thought somewhere there needed to be a scene with the older sister. Yeah, because she talks about the abuse. Like, yeah. she's the one who tells us the story of him. You know, it's and like how. how mental yeah. institution. And how she was abused and the specific form his abuse takes. And of getting in the car and driving around and him threatening to kill himself. Yeah. Like, and that's all her. Yep. I mean, it's just a harrowing portrait of incest and how it brutalizes these families. Yeah. Like it, of how it like creates these victim, like how it, how like it is impossible to escape this kind of victimhood when, you know, it's your family that's doing this to you. It's your support structure that is victimizing you. Yeah. It's it's an incredible episode. Like it's so much better than the Quincy episode, which was about a stepfather or mother's boyfriend, by the way. Well, remember, remember the Quincy episode took place in the 70s. Yeah, it was the 70s. They couldn't we do knew this. a hell of a lot less in the 70s that's about true. how all this works. Yeah, to be true. honest, I mean. Well, you're right. You're right. You're barely coming out of sort of the impact of Freud, which says, you know, that all of these, all, all women want to, all little girls want to sleep with their fathers. Oh, my God. All of this sort of crap, you know. <sighs> I know, just, I know. Yeah, no, I couldn't have used this in my class either because we already had heavy enough real life situations <laughs> yeah. with this this term. Yeah, you know, I mean, but what again, an episode! Oh, it it was unbelievable. But she does get on the stand. She can't talk at one point, so Catherine has to go up and allow. hold her hands so she can speak. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. They allow Catherine to go and sit with her and hold her hand. Mm-hmm. And then she manages to talk, but yeah. it is just harrowing. Yeah, it. and listening to it and seeing it, and even though I know this is it, right? I mm-hmm. mean, th- this is the story. This is the narration, and yeah. you wonder why people don't ever really recover from yeah. anything like this. Um, and. <clears throat> I, I can, as I said, I always, you know, like my mother, I lucked out with my father sometimes, you know, <laughs> that's what my mother said. I lucked out. Yeah. Um, but um, it is, it is a horrendous situation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it is an episode that, like, yes, it elides over stuff that would be difficult to say on television. But do not mistake that for the episode ever letting you off the hook for a microsecond. Not for a freaking microsecond. No. Like, this is this is unrelenting yeah. in in forcing you to face up to this crime. Yeah, it, it is. It is unreal because, you know, yes, they have to bring these sorts of things in. Catherine doesn't handle like Catherine is still there was there was something too. how does it end? Oh, with the, the he's been convicted. Yes. And the the thirty two year old and her daughter go to the bridge to throw the lock away. Yes, Kat, yeah, they bring the lock to her. Yeah, she Catherine throws. brings her the lock uh, for her to throw away. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful ending. Yeah, it's because a beautiful course, ending to a heartbreaking episode. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the episode where the daughter says, "Well, you know, there's a because Frank goes into her bedroom and sees the lock on the door." Yeah. And and this is what she has told her sister to lock herself in the room and not let anybody in, not even mm-hmm. daddy. Yeah. And then, but Frank looks at it and then she explains, no, she said, you think this lock was for our protection? No, it was so that when he came in to hide the, the secret, room, yeah, when he came into the room, he always locked the door. Yep. Hence the well-worn lock. Hence he put a lock on the door to lock himself in with the daughters. So they couldn't escape. Yep. Because it was high. Oh, yeah. It's it's a beautiful episode. Yeah, it is. It is a stunning episode. It really is. Um, like it's just it's an incredible hour of television. And again, this at its best, Millennium is the show that never lets you off the hook for a second. No. And, you and don't this is Millennium at its best. Yes. And you have two episodes. There's, there's no, there, the evil is, um. The brutality of family two weeks in a row, though. Yeah, two weeks in a row. But what I was going to say, the, the brutality is so friggin' mundane. Yep, banal. Banal, and people don't want to deal with that. It's the same thing when I was dealing with, with this man in Sault Ste. Marie who killed his girlfriend, killed his children. Tried to kill his wife and then shot himself. Yeah. You know, and I'm just, I'm just going, but it's normal. It's not a one-off. It's not out there. This is part of the system and the system lets them get away with this brutality so that it just escalates. Yep. Constantly. And, you know, um, because we don't have the systems, we don't have the systems for it Mm -hmm. in place. Yeah. Uh, she, if in case, I mean, why would you know this? There was a, um, again, a family annihilation. We talked yes. about it briefly in Sault Ste. Marie right before Halloween this year. And it was, it was a rough one. Yeah, it was two weeks and it just, it screwed up the rest of the course. I yeah, mean, I, I can imagine. Because domestic abuse I was going to deal with later. Well, all of a sudden we've got, and it was that like, in the headlines. Yeah. We've never had anything this horrendous in Sault Ste. Marie that yeah. in my lifetime there mm-hmm. have been other few other things but nothing like this and yeah. um it sent shockwaves but the problem is it's not it's it, it, it you is want this to be final. in completely inhuman but it's just like the 
It is the logical endpoint of the way these people treat their families and the way they see their they they see their families as their possessions. And then the way they're raised. And that was the thing about the um about the about the cat. What I didn't say before from the last episode, the cat right. the cat metaphor thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is basically Alice Miller. Yeah. That, you know, um, you always if you have at least one person that believes in you and treats you right when you are a child. Yeah. That can change the course of your entire life. If you life. get a when single interve- a single intervention, yes. That that lasts. Mm-hmm. You know, moving somebody from foster home to foster home where people don't really care and yep. don't want to... Um, it keeps you from developing the kind of connection. And that connection can be anybody if it's a healthy connection. Yes. As long as the child understands that that person is there for them without question, without restriction... Like without judgment, without condition. Yes, and as I as I say, I mean, I, I I scream about that all the time, and that's we've screamed about that enough. Yeah, in Criminal like, Minds. I, when we I talk know. about those different characters in Criminal Minds, he don't understand kids. that. Yeah. Well, no, but I mean, the fact is, like, a child needs unconditional support and love. If they're going to be a fully rounded and healthy person, like that's, that's the baseline. What they need is unconditional love and support. And you'd be surprised how hard that is to find. Yeah. Or maybe honestly, maybe you wouldn't be. Yeah. Well, yes. If you, you know, if you're German, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm just going back to Alice Miller, but you know. Yeah. We'll go back to Alice Miller. And she apparently was a horrendous mother. Yeah. And uh, but she's right. And and her son proves ultimately that all of her theories were correct. It's just she wasn't able to walk the walk. She couldn't walk the walk. She understood what needed to be done. That doesn't make it easy to do. She had psychotic and schizophrenic episodes. Yeah. Um, She she thought her son at one point was an SS officer that was coming out to get her. It was just. I mean, some of it is horrendous when you listen to Martin Milner or Martin, not Martin Milner, Martin, whatever his last name is. Yeah. Um, when you listen to some of this stuff and you read, it doesn't shock me mm-hmm. um, at all. And uh, and that she could wallow. All you have to do is read for their own good. Uh, oh, the my God. Of, of violence in child rearing practices. Yeah. And she wallowed in this. This was... Um, it is a, it is also a horrendous book. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and then there's, and it, sometimes you need to get people to understand. And I don't think unless you have been through, you need episodes like this. Yeah. To be able to, to, be able to relate to, to it. Begin to understand. Like, yeah. this is not my experience. Okay, no. so then we, we, as we say, the powers that be, the universe, whatever, I lucked out. Yep. This is not my experience. But this is okay. not an unusual this experience. This is not an unusual. And, but if you do, you, I mean, all these stupid people who write about father-daughter incest and incest and all this stuff, you know, and look at all of the, these different parts of it. Yeah. 
if you don't experience it, you haven't got a friggin' clue. So yes, you can take a look at the laws. You mm-hmm. can in 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 Leviticus, and you can take a you can have these long discussions about it and not put it into real context. Yeah, of about what, what the experience was for the actual people. For the actual people, because if you think that just because it was in the past and just because it was acceptable. That it wasn't shattering for people back then. Yeah. You're incredibly naive. Yeah, you're incredibly, that if you think that people, that women back then, this is what I tell people. Yeah, there wasn't anything they could friggin' do about it. But do you think they were fine with it? Do you think that if they had a choice? Yeah. You know, um, they would be fine with it. I still, I, 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 I get into these arguments, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, but we don't have any proof. Well, friggin' hell, you've got laws. And there are laws. Laws were created for reasons. Thousands and thousands of years. We're talking five, six, eight thousand years. We keep going back and you're always finding laws about sexual assault. Yep. So it's happening. And do you think that sending, that making you, making the child marry the man who raped her yeah. is a solution. Only men can yeah. figure that's the solution. Yeah. You know, um, that that's a better solution than just cutting his balls off. Excuse yeah. me, am I a little pissed off after the end of this episode? No, that's fine. Because that's it fine. brings up like all of this, this research stuff. Like this is not, I mean, that's the thing, right? Go listen to Spotlight if you want to see what triggers me. This doesn't trigger me. This just no. makes angry at how survivors of any kind of sexual assault any kind mm-hmm. are written off yeah so often written off not believed stigmatized because if you're not damaged right if if your life is good yeah well then it couldn't have mattered that much yeah no you don't ever see the struggles and the nightmares. Well, and no, but I mean, it's you like... You are watching the struggles and the nightmares of yeah. all of us who have had this happen to us, whether it is a one-off, whether it is incest, whether it is... Pastoral abuse. Yeah. Like, you know? The fact is, no, you, you're it, absolutely it, right. That, like, that people don't see it and people can't accept it. And they don't want to accept it. And that's the key part. They can't accept it because they would prefer to not have to think about it. Oh, yeah. And it can't really be happening. And mm-hmm. it can't be the society's fault. And it can't be the religion's fault. And it can't be anybody else's fault. Mm-hmm. And it can't. And ultimately, you know, it's it, the iffy part. You, It is the person yeah. who does the assaults fault and yeah. that is it and so many people do not understand how it works i go back to the Gian Gomeshi stuff oh my god you don't want to talk about that either. yeah we're not gonna we're not gonna start talking about moxie fruvis here today but let's just say we had a really really high profile uh sex assault trial here in canada that went real bad because how do i put this uh, judges don't believe that, uh, don't understand how consent works. Is that the nicest way to put it? Yeah. And, 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 oh, and, 
and understand how power works. Yep, power and dynamics that, and relationships work. This man would have been able to destroy these women's careers. That how but, you can be his forced. Lawyer, his lawyer, this this woman, yeah, is very good. Oh no, she's incredible. She's a monster. I, she's great at her job. Yep. But the fact is, like, yeah, someone can assault you and you still have to deal with them the next day. Or you have to deal with them down the road because this was the entertainment business. This yep. was early form of, I, no, I mean, this is Harvey Weinstein. It's no different than the Harvey Weinstein type no, of situation. It just it's just radio instead of movies. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's, oh, it's on a smaller scale. It's the same issues. You still need the good reviews. You, yep. You know, yes, he has. You still no need someone make like you still if someone says you're a problem to work with, mm -hmm. it can still like one sentence can destroy a career. Sure. And yeah. and if the, your latest show doesn't okay, get coverage, you don't get coverage or you get negative coverage, you disappear. It disappears. And yeah. so you go looking for work someplace else or you're the person that gets negatively reviewed. And therefore, because nobody else knows why you're getting negatively reviewed, because this man has tried to rape you and or has has put you in a very compromising position. And therefore, you kind of get cut out of the show. Yeah, it happens. You're this stuff really happens. Show. Yeah, it happens all the time. All right. Uh, so we're gonna oh, there. we're gonna wrap this up here. Uh, let's just say the well-worn lock brought up a lot of stuff from us. Yes, and it and it it is such a true to yeah. life episode. It's it so. Really I mean, the only way to describe it is it's so honest. Yeah, and it did understand the issues and how it works. It's it's a. It's an incredibly powerful episode of television that is nonetheless extremely hard to watch. But do you know what it is? Because I'm not going to tell you there's going to be a lot more of these, but it is Criminal Minds' spouse abuse episode. Yeah. I mean, that's what the equivalent is on Criminal Minds. It is an episode that abandons the formula to tell this incredibly important and true story about a very important issue. Yep. Like, and this is obviously better than, I mean, the spouse abuse episode is fantastic of Criminal Minds. We will never stop saying good things about the spouse abuse episode. Half an episode. Yes, right? Only half an it episode. was only half an episode. Here, it's the whole episode. But, like, there's no serial killer this week. There's no demons this week. There's just, this is the way society has been organized, has been organized to protect men who are monsters. Yeah, that, and both these episodes ultimately. Yeah, in in a very real write, way. I had to write a backstory for the woman who rejected her child, and but but it fits. But it fits. It fits. So yeah, yeah uh, Millennium is even better than we said it was. <laughs> yep. Even when it's off its off its brand, which is demons yeah. and demons and serial killers. Yeah. Demons and ghosts and serial killers. Well, not that many ghosts. There is a ghost, though. There is a ghost in arguably the best episode of the show, and I know I'm overselling it, but I can't even tell you the title of what the best episode is, because it's such a huge... Like, the title is such a huge spoiler. Yeah. 
Uh, but th- there are demons. There are ghosts. Next week we have. Uh, yeah. Next week we are watching episode nine and episode ten. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not going to tell you what they're about, but they're rough ones. I is guess I can there, kind of say that about every episode. I was going to say, is there an episode of Criminal of Millennium that isn't rough? <laughs> I mean, I know. I mean, somehow Satan got behind me. Well, yes. Okay. Doomsday there, Defense. Like, there are two comedy episodes of the show. And then there's a third comedy episode of the show that is real bad and guest stars Kiss. Yeah, well, we'll... we'll I bet, I bet you forgot... Out. By the way, I bet you forgot I, that episode existed, didn't you? Yes, I did. I do remember the other two, but because they they were... If they hadn't been in this show, they were very funny. Oh, yeah. They're hilarious. I mean, the one is just... Somehow yeah. Satan Got Behind Me, according to IMDb, is the top-rated episode of the show. Well, I can believe it. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, I know. It is magnificent. Uh, but yeah, there's there's literally an episode... Like just this this garbage comedy episode that kisses in, and you're like, "What am I watching?" Family it, Guy. Yeah, no. It honestly, it feels like how has Millennium fallen this far that kisses in an episode? And again, if it was Darren Morgan who somehow found a way to put kiss in an episode that was brilliant, that would be one thing. This is not that. This is not. No, this is. And remember, Kiss in the Family Guy episode was brilliant. Oh, no, no, they, you're right. Kiss was very, yes, Kiss can that be used. I know, you're right. Okay, 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 you're right. I, I am wrong. I take it back. Kiss can be used to great comedic effect if done very well. Mm-hmm. But for now, uh, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, if there's any profiling related fiction you'd like us to check out after we're done Millennium, uh, like I said, I've managed to obtain Those Who Kill, the spiritual successor to Millennium from um, Glenn Morgan, uh, So, which is a remake of a Norwegian show or Swedish show. We'll check. Yeah. So look forward to that. We will be covering that after Millennium, but we'll need something after Millennium. Uh, so look forward to that. But uh, drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If you're listening to this on an app or podcatcher, please be sure to rate and review it. That's how people find out about the show. We're going to see you back here next week for more Millennium. But until then, I'll say that's right. Au revoir. Have a good week. <laughs>